0: title of our lesson this morning living as a Christian ain't easy uh, we're going to take a look at the book of Hebrews this morning actually uh, being a Christian when you first became a Christian what do you have in mind what do you think about it? what was it going to be like and then over a period of time our understanding it's running) <laughs> For those who don't know, I have a tendency to forget sometimes, so I have certain ones that help me to remember, so I appreciate it very much, so thank you. Uh, So once again, what did you think when you first became a Christian, and what did you imagine what it was going to be like? And then over time, our understanding changes, and then we're going to think a little bit about from the book of Hebrews this morning, Christianity in the first century, and how challenging was that? So there's three points that we're going to take a look at. The background and the letter, Hebrews, and then we'll talk about God and security and then our response. So I'll pull up that first slide, the background and letter. Title of the lesson, of course, then, Living as a Christian Ain't Easy. So I'm going to ask you once again, when you first became a Christian, what did you think it was going to be like? I was trying to think back. It's been just a day or two ago that I became. I was uh, 23 years old. And so a little over 40 some years ago. (laughs) And I obeyed the gospel and I started going to church. I thought, that's all right. (laughs) Try to live right, you know, that's it. And then I remember not long after that, it's been a little while. There was a fellow that was about my age, just a little bit older than me. And he came and he invited me because I was just going to worship. And he came and he said, you know, we have class on Sunday morning. He said, would you like to come to class? And I was like, I don't care. I guess so. <laughs> and I went in there and they were talking about all kinds of stuff I didn't know anything about. And I thought, wow, you can learn stuff in here. You know that? <laughs> and so as I started to grow, I became and realized I'm actually a part of a family. And I'm a part of a spiritual body. And I have responsibilities not just to myself and to God and to others. I thought, wow, isn't that something? And I learned about privileges and blessings and responsibilities and kind of all kinds of things. And it's like, there's more to this than what I originally kind of thought. Now think back to the first century, becoming a Christian. Living as a Christian, you heard about Jesus. Maybe, maybe you even lived in that area. Maybe you saw Jesus. Maybe on more than one occasion, you got a chance to hear Jesus. And then you heard about the opposition that was starting to grow towards him. And then eventually, you heard how he had been arrested. And that he was put to death. But then he was resurrected. And then you heard about the day of Pentecost. And you heard things about the Holy Spirit. And the apostles. And the teaching. And how in one day, 3,000 people responded to the preaching of the gospel. You thought, that's amazing. And then in a short period of time, it had gone beyond 3,000 grew to 5,000. And there was a lot of stir going on about this preaching of the gospel. And there were these men called the apostles and some of them were working miracles. And you heard about that. And you became a Christian. And this was kind of exciting. (laughs) Lots going on. Lots happening. And then something happened and you moved away. You moved a long ways. From Jerusalem and now the group that you're associating with there are a lot of them are Jewish but they became Christians but now the government and others are persecuting those who claim to be Christians And there are some that you've been associating with, that you have met with, that you have rejoiced with, you've prayed with, worshipped with, and they're not showing up. And things are getting challenging. And you're kind of wondering, wow, what's going to happen? Welcome to the letter and the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14. We read it a moment ago, but I'm going to read it again. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. ESV says, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our confidence firm to the end. The letter to Hebrews is written, In the mid to late 60's. No mention (laughs) is made of the structure of Jerusalem. Excuse me. So most believe that it was before 70 AD. But it's mid to late 60's when this letter is written. So now it's been 30, 35 years. Since Christianity first began in Jerusalem. Before you heard about all those conversions. And before you heard about it it was spreading from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And they've gone even further and beyond. But now, you're a long ways from Jerusalem. You're a long ways from those early days. You've moved. You've settled in. And you're still trying to live as a Christian. And you have a lot of questions. And you get together with others on a regular basis. And you study together. But you don't have a New Testament. So what do you study? You study those Old Testament Scriptures, don't you? And you search and you see how was it that this was pointing to the Messiah? Because now I'm looking for confirmation. Now I'm looking to be reaffirmed. Now I'm looking to be reassured that the commitment that I have made, that I've made the right commitment and that I ought to hang on to this and I ought to stick this out because it's not easy. And I try to encourage others. And then one day, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about a time when I actually heard Jesus. And I remember a story that he told. And it was a story about this widow. And how she went to this judge. And she asked him for justice in her case. And this guy didn't really care about God or other people. But she wouldn't give up. And she just kept going back. And finally... He executed judgment and justice on her behalf. And then you remember the question that Jesus asked at the close of that story. He said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And then all of a sudden, it kind of clicks. Ah. I didn't get it at the time. But now, I see how it applies. When the Son of Man comes, will He? Will He find faith on the earth? It's been more than 30 years. And Jerusalem is in the rearview mirror. (laughs) And the excitement has long faded. And we're out here, and we're trying to hang on. I'm going to read to you three passages. Hebrews 1 and verse 1. Chapter 2 and verse 1. And then chapter 13 and 23 through 35. Hebrews 1 and verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, we must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. Chapter 13, beginning at verse 23. Now listen. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Isn't that interesting? He starts off, God spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets at various times in various ways. Chapter 2, Therefore we must give heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. And then chapter 13, He goes, Hey, I want to tell you about Timothy. (laughs) He just got out of prison. I hope to see him. If we do, we'll come see you. Grace be with y'all it's been said about this letter that it begins like an essay it continues like a sermon and then it closes like a letter and isn't that true <laughs> you listen to that and that's kind of the way it goes but there's something else that is contained there as he makes this statement about God spoke, And then he says in these last days he's spoken through his son. And we must pay heed and give attention to these things lest we drift away. But in chapter 3, verse 6 and verse 14, he says, we read this a moment ago. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Those are what are referred to in this letter as the if passages. So what the writer is saying and what he's trying to get them to see and to be convinced of, hold fast. You are partakers if. These are the if passages. So what he is saying is spiritual survival is not just assured. You got a part to play in this. And you have got to hold on. And so to begin, what he is saying is, it ain't easy. And the theme for the book of Hebrews for the letter, oftentimes we say is better. <laughs> because the writer gives them the things that are better through Jesus Christ. He is better than the angels. He has a better name because he's called the Son. He's a better lawgiver than Moses. He's a better high priest. He offers a better sacrifice. He brings a better covenant. And he offers better promises. Seven betters that are contained within this letter. To encourage them to hold on to the faith that they have confessed. But he's also telling them, you've got to persevere. And so he writes these things to encourage them. So as you read through this letter, and as I told someone this week, it ain't easy (laughs) to summarize what all he has to say. So these next couple of points are just really my attempt to show you what's kind of revealed here within this letter. God and security. Hebrews chapter 1, this time verse 1 and 2. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son whom He has appointed heir of all things through whom also He made the worlds. So let's imagine. Wherever this location was. It's a long ways from Jerusalem spend 35 years times are hard things are challenging they're trying to hold on and then all of a sudden there's this letter there's this letter that shows up and so you all gather around and let's read this and how does it begin It doesn't begin like a lot of other letters in the New Testament saying who it is that's writing and who they are writing to. This writer just immediately jumps into it. And he said, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the Father by the prophets. This writer's wanting to encourage them. Where does he begin? God isn't that the place to begin? You know, sometimes people say there's two things that are certain in life. That's death and taxes. <laughs> Another fellow used to say, well, there's two things that are certain in life. And he said, there is a God and I ain't him. It's pretty certain. Isn't it? So where does the writer begin? God. You take all that's going on in the world today. All the turmoil, all the confusion, ups and downs, challenges and everything. What's the solid foundation? What's the one thing that you can come back to for certain? God. So the writer is saying, if we're going to start here, we're going to help you out. This is the place to start. God. He starts with a statement of fact. No doubt, no question, it's God. And God in the past has spoken. It's similar to the very opening words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. John chapter 1 in the Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word became flesh. No doubts, no questions. Here's where we start. This is the foundation. This is what you stand on. It's God and what He has done in the past, what He is doing and has done in the present, and that's what gives you hope for the future. It's interesting. As you read through the scriptures, do you know the Bible never argues for the existence of God? It just states. (laughs) You know, back when I was at Park Hill South High School, and you might be talking to students, and you might say, this is what we're doing today. Sheila's a teacher. Colby's a teacher. Students don't always just want to do what you tell them to do, do they? And so they want to debate it. They want to argue about it. They want to discuss it. And pretty soon I would just say, This is not a discussion. This is not a debate. This is what we're doing. It's over. That's what the writers do. God. This is where it begins. This is where it's settled. This is where your hope lies. God. This is what He's done in the past. This is what He has done presently. So make sure, take heed, chapter 2, you do not slip away from those things which have been spoken. So it's God. And He has spoken. Tradition. So, now what's that tell us? What that tells us is he is relating to them. This is where your security is. This is where your assurance is. Chapter 8. And verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. Chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, What did he just say? This is the main point of the things we are saying. All of those things that he has stated about Jesus up to that point leads to this. And what it leads to is we have a high priest. Where did they get that idea? That was grounded in the Old Testament, wasn't it? And we have a high priest who has now entered in beyond the veil, and he is at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's your confidence. Now, think about that for a moment. You're a long ways from Jerusalem, you're a long ways from the temple. And as far as most suggest, that temple is still standing at this time. And they are still having those feast days and they are still offering those sacrifices. And yet you are way over here. And you are surrounded by others who are Jewish, but have given up on Judaism and became Christians. But now... You know, Jesus hasn't come back, and there was rumors about that that he might come back, but it's been thirty-five years and he hasn't shown up. And things are hard. There's some that's turning back to Judaism. Do you think we need to go back to Jerusalem? And then you get this letter. Time out, pump the brakes. You don't need to go anywhere because you have a high priest and that's Jesus. And He has offered a sacrifice better than those sacrifices of the law. And He has entered in beyond the veil. And He has opened up a new and living way. You don't need to do that anymore. You stay right where you are. And you hold fast to that faith. And you continue. Can you see that? Now this is the main point. (laughs) What are you saying? In chapter 8. This is your security. This is where you're safe. This is where you stand. And he warns them. Don't drift away from the things which you have heard. That word that is used there, Hebrews chapter 2. For the word spoken through angels proved steadfast. And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward chapter 3 and verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast. That word that is used there, some translations render it firm. Same word that is used over in the 6th chapter where he talks about our hope is an anchor of the soul. Both steadfast and sure this is where you stand this is your anchor and throughout this letter we don't have time to read all these but if you would like to read these and you want these verses there's an outline there in the back you can pick one up but one of the things the writer does is he talks about Jesus And just like he says that our hope, our confidence is steadfast, it's sure. He talks about Jesus and he says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That message that you received, that message that you obeyed, that Savior, it's not going to (laughs) change. This is sure. This is steadfast. This is where we stand. And in chapter 12, <clears throat> he will talk about how the church receives a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Unmovable. So, why do we have security? So, he argues, uh, sets forth statements, arguments about the nature of Jesus Christ, who he is. And what he has done. But it's interesting. Based upon that information. The writer insists. A church. So he's writing to them. It can only survive. If the members. Press on to maturity you ever thought about that? I'm going to read to you in just a moment. Chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. As a Christian, you are either growing or you're slipping backwards. You do not come to a place and just become static. It's not that way you're either moving forward or you're slipping backwards. Chapter 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is obeyed. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, maturity, not laying in the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. What's he saying? You're going to survive. you got to keep growing. And they need solid food. And not just the milk of the word. you got to move beyond that. So the author has described Jesus as our high priest. And he's also told them in the fifth chapter that he... Learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And he is our brother. And now he sits at the right hand of God. What's he saying? He became our high priest. But there was a time when he wasn't our high priest. There was a time when He walked among us. And He suffered. And He learned obedience. Just like that's what you're going through. But He was never... He never sinned. He stayed faithful. And now He sits at the right hand of God. What's He saying? He knows you... He knows your experience. He went through it. And now you can see where he is. That's your confidence. So, in the 12th chapter, he will tell them, Fix your eyes on Jesus. Back in the second chapter, once again, in verse 10. It says, For it was fitting for him, for whom all things and by whom all things are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, so through him and by him, he's bringing sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Some translations say the pioneer. (laughs) I was talking to my wife just recently about you know the Lewis and Clark expedition and somebody was blazing a trail from the Midwest to the West Coast and that's what the Hebrew writer is saying about Jesus he's that pioneer he's that captain he's the one that blazed the trail he's the one that has shown us the way So the church is going to survive by reaffirming its identity and its faith and holding on and sharing and caring and encouraging one another. And so the writer of Hebrews is intent on shoring up their faith and trying to reclaim some that have fallen away. And he says that if they leave in essence they're treating his sacrifice with contempt. And they're spurning the Son of God. And they're profaning his blood and they insult the Spirit of grace. I don't think he's just trying to be critical. I think what he's trying to get them to see Look what all he did. Look what all God has done. What he has done for you and made possible for you. And if you just turn away from that, you just insult the spirit of grace. So our response. <clears throat> As you look back over history, and of course, that's where we spend a good part of our time Currently, on Wednesdays, he's talking about Old Testament history. But there's a lot involved in the survival of God's people. Isaiah, the 55th chapter, in about verse 11, he says, My word shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish the thing which I have sent it forth. So what Isaiah is saying, God him this word, it'll do what it's supposed to do. Some will follow it, some won't. But that's exactly what that word's supposed to do. It'll make a separation between those who will follow and those who won't. Psalms 119, 105, right? His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Over in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says he has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We have everything we need to make this journey. We can't get to the end or part way and fall away and go, well, it's not my fault. God didn't sufficiently provide for us. And so God has sufficiently provided. So not only has he given us direction and he has given us guidance, the survival of the church also depends on people and the ability of people to follow and to endure frustrations and doubts along the way. Let me read to you from chapter 10, verse 32 through 34. He says, recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, so after you became Christians. You endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Remember after you became a Christian, you had to suffer all these things. And there were others that were suffering these things. And you just associated with them and so you got drugged into it too. (laughs) And then they come and they took your stuff. (laughs) Plundered your goods. But you said, that's all right. Because you knew you had something better waiting for you in heaven. And so he'll go on in the twelfth chapter, and tell them to run with endurance. And so what we learn is, and this writer acknowledges, he's writing to a particular group, but it's universal. Christian communities are going to suffer persecution. They're going to suffer discouragement. So he will say, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope till the end. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. You have need of endurance. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And in Hebrews chapter eleven he'll talk about all those Old Testament worthies and the things that they suffered because of their faith. Mark. Various times in this letter he has talked about the things that Christians have gone through. Chapter three, chapter four, chapter eleven, chapter ten. It's all throughout there. So survival of the church depends not only on God's word, but the willingness Of God's people to follow this word. Endure these things. And encourage one another along the way. You know as I was reading this. Thinking about this this week. And I was thinking about the date and time. When this letter was written. So it's probably mid 60's. What do we normally call a generation. As far as length of years is concerned. Normally we say somewhere around 40 years is a generation, right? So the first generation started in 32, let's say, A.D. This is about 66, 67. 35 years. So there's been one generation. And we're getting ready for the second and this writer is writing this kind of letter. <laughs> isn't that something? It's just one generation away. Isn't it? Apostasies always just one generation away. Isn't it? So there's a responsibility of this generation, this generation, to teach the next generation and he's warning him be careful so he's writing to those who are just starting the next generation be careful listen to don't drift away don't slip away from those things which you have heard Hebrews 3 at verse 13 he says exhort one another day by day and in Hebrews 12 fix our eyes on Jesus so what he's saying is this is a community that's on this journey together and as he's getting closer to the end of this letter over in chapter 12 and about verse 12 He says, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. In other words, you see it. Some are kind of slipping. They're not as strong as they should be. And he said, reach out. Strengthen them. Encourage them. In verse 13, he'll say, make straight paths. You know what I mean by that? So, not only do you encourage and try to help others, don't do anything to make them stumble. Make straight paths. Don't cause your brother or your sister to stumble. So, the church today, in every generation, struggles with some of the same problems that they were confronted with. This is only the second generation that he's writing to and warning that. And so as we think about all these things and you think about the things that are going on in the world today and I think about even to 40 years ago a little over when I became a Christian things are different today than it was back then. And the things that you see in public now and the things you hear on television and the kind of condemnation that Christians oftentimes used, and that if you stand up for this, then you are a person of hate. Not love. Hate. Would you hang on to this? Not that. And so the book of Hebrews points to God. It tells us it's the final revelation. It tells us about His Son. It tells us what we have in Him. And that it depends on our willingness to follow the captain of our faith. And so we come back to the question that Jesus asked. When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? That depends. If we hang on hold fast to encourage one another and pass this along to the next generation. That in essence is kind of my summary of what takes place in the letter from the Hebrews. I want to extend the invitation this morning, though, to any that are all that are here. I do not know, I'm not familiar with everyone's spiritual situation. But if we can help you in any way making your relationship right with the Lord this morning, whether it's initial obedience or coming back and making your relationship right, we want to help you. That's why we're here. While together we stand and while we sing.